Jewish Latin Princess, episode 72, Bracha Getz, author of Searching for God in the Garbage. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. How does a Harvard-educated medical student of psychiatry end up with an eating disorder despite knowing very well what she was doing to herself? Is knowledge enough to stop us from the self-destructive behavior? What can you do if you're about to overeat or engage in another type of addictive behavior? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, and I have an exciting interview today with a most interesting woman, Bracha Getz. Bracha is the author of Searching for God in the Garbage, as well as 37 children's books. How's that for being prolific? Bracha had a riveting journey which led her to finding Orthodox Judaism and completely transforming her life. And get this, she healed her anorexia practically overnight. What about Orthodox Jews who unfortunately are engaging in self-destructive behaviors or addictions? How do we answer that? She didn't finish her Harvard degree in psychiatry, but instead dedicated her life to raising her family and distilling the most complex Jewish concepts into their simplest essential elements so that children could grasp them. You will be shocked by the ironies of Bracha's story, the divine providence, the immense wisdom, love, and authenticity in her message. Here's Bracha Getz. Gets. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you on the show. It is such an honor. You are the author of 37 children's books. And most recently, you've published a candid memoir for adults searching for God in the garbage. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much. Before we get to your children's books, I want you to tell us about this new work, a departure from your established career as a children's author. Um, what was the impetus for this work? Why take this detour? Okay, great. Well, actually, I wrote the book 30 years ago. Oh, so really? It, it wasn't, well, it was just published recently. So it wasn't like I just did it now. Um, I did it, um, I guess, 10 years after I became observant. Mm-hmm. Um, I When I had gone back to my parents' home, uh, they were clearing out their apartment and I found my old diaries. So when I started reading the diaries, suddenly I, I saw I saw the the string kind of that tied my life together and I could understand the path that I took. It, it suddenly everything made sense about why I wanted to become an observant Jew. I, I saw that at age twelve I started searching and searching and for years I was searching down many paths looking for the meaning to life. Mm-hmm. And and when I saw the diaries then everything made sense about the entire journey up until that point. So I realized then that I wanted to put this together into a book. It would be kind of a case study of a person, um, how they developed eating disorders mm-hmm. and how becoming an observer 
American Jew helped me to heal from the eating disorders. So it's it's really a very interesting book and it, it's very out of the box that way in that it actually, you go through the mind of the person as they're going through it because I have actual diary entries through the years. It covers 20 years of time from age 12 to 32. And so it, it, co- it covers how the eating disorders gradually develop and wow. then then how it and how I got better yeah wow so so walk us down that road a little bit how did that ex- how did those two come together the experience of overcoming an eating disorder and becoming an observant Jew wh- wh- when did those t- what connect the dots for us a little bit about the the journey right okay and it The book is kind of a psychological mystery because as you go through the book, it isn't until the end that you understand what I'm going to share with you now. So when you go through the book, you actually go through the steps of, of what I'm going to, of the realization I'm going to explain at this point. The realization I came to is um, that really my body was, well, when I when I had anorexia, it was my body that was starving. Mm-hmm. It was starving for spiritual nourishment. And that was my way of crying out for help and and then when 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 I would have like overeating binges mm-hmm. that was my way of de- searching desperately for the truth I was searching so much for spiritual nourishment but I didn't know where to find it and 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 what I came to the realization that I come to in the book and what I what I so much want to share with so many people in the world is is this concept that addiction has a spiritual basis um and I think that that's crucial and I think that there are people with addictions so many different types of addictions whether it's a food addiction which is one of the most basic addictions there is mm-hmm. or, or all the other types of addictions they all have a spiritual basis and when we and there are, there are cry for help they, they but they are crying for a, a, a genuine hunger and it's our souls that are hungry when a, and i say now when a person is overeating which is a very common uh, addiction the over food addiction is to be overeating if a person can ask themselves just pause long enough in the midst of overeating to ask is it my body that is hungry or my soul hmm. if they ask that one question they will have the clarity immediately because because once you have the knowledge to ask that question it gives you so much insight into yourself and you realize that it's really your soul that's hungry if anybody that's overeating their body isn't really hungry it's their soul that's hungry and no amount of food will ever fill that hole so that's that's really um that's the that's the core of my book the core of my book is that addiction has a spiritual basis and you just see within my book the whole process of how addiction develops and then how it how it can be healed through spiritual nourishment yet so many have a hard time asking that question that you know when you say it it's almost simplistic um do you ever get that do you ever get people saying okay but how do i ask that question and and how am i able to even listen i i, I think people don't know how to listen to that voice of the soul anymore people don't know how to listen well I mean, that's the thing. We we have to always be tuning into ourselves, you know, and with more more and more being aware that what we really are, we are really souls, mm-hmm. just clothed in bodies. Right. So we 
we, we just got to keep getting the word out. I feel right. like one of my one of my ideas is that prisons prisons should be filled with these type of messages constantly filling prisons mm. about how how their souls just clothed in bodies and more and more messaging like that so that no matter how a person no matter what trauma or abuse a person has endured in their life, their soul is still pure within them. Right. And this this is such an important message that we, we just can't get it out enough. We yeah. just got to keep repeating this message because everybody needs to know that their soul can always be accessed. It's still as pure as it ever was. How um, apropos to the time of year that we're having this conversation as we're heading into the high holidays, which is really Really the message that we need to walk out of Yom Kippur with under that understanding that that our soul is intact it is really a piece of God and it's pure as can be nothing can really tarnish it it's just a little schmutz that we could clean off but at it at its core it's it's not tarnishable like <laughs> exactly exactly as 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 deep as abuse and trauma can go there's a certain level of the soul that it can't reach and and, and so many people don't know that they feel hopeless in life and 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 it, we 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 just got to keep explaining this this important this this but this this vital piece a hundred percent but going back to your story and 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 still my question which is that it is hard for people to realize no matter even 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 if we're ra- shouting it out of the rooftops meaning there ha- there has to be something some experience that helps people make that connection what was it for you how did you end up finding this truth in judaism what was the wake-up call the aha moment how did that happen yes great i want to answer that but i just want to say one other thing that you just sparked me to say um the concept alone is never enough and and that's the thing i was drawn to the concepts in judaism but i'm i'm a very um conceptual kind of person so like what like i would be like for in, i was only dating non-jews for years and i would be on the beach with a boyfriend and i'd be reading a book about um with one of my non-jewish boyfriends i'd be reading a book about hasidic tales <laughs> and and i love the stories in the in the hasidic tales but i mean i wasn't exactly going to become a hasidic person i didn't know any hasidic people or anything <laughs> like that you know i was loving it but that's the thing about judaism um it's not just thoughts. The the mitzvahs are the actions. They're the strings that tie it all together. So we have to get, we have to also act. Right. And and, and one example of um, when a person asks themselves that question, is it my body that is hungry or my soul? Then right in that moment, this is the thing, like you were saying, it's not just a conceptual thing. Right in that moment, if they just do one action that that feeds their soul instead of their stomach in that moment, then the, the bag of potato chips will lose its grasp it's, on the person. Yes. For, for, for in, all they have to do, let's say they're sitting there with a bag of potato chips in their cell phone. All they have to do is just text somebody lonely or, or call somebody lonely or they have to or sit, stand up from their chair, step outside, feel the sunshine, feel the breeze or turn on some inspiring music, start moving around and dancing and stretching. Suddenly, the soul is getting nourishment that it was craving. Right. And, 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 and right away, the pull of the potato chips just like diminishes into almost nothing. 
it's it happens miraculously in those moments. So I want I want to explain to people that it's not just once you ask that question, then if you just do one tiny action that feeds your soul, you will see the results right away. And then that becomes a new habit. And that's how you change the habit into nourishing your soul in, in when into nourishing your soul when you're feeling like doing an addictive behavior because the addictive behavior is really just there as a message for the person to tell them that it's their soul that is hungry. Now to the question you asked me about the aha moment in my life. <clears throat> how how did I come to become observant and all that? Well, the title of my book is Searching for God in the Garbage. And people that know me today um, that didn't know me in the past, when they've read my book, they are shocked and kind of horrified, I would say, <laughs> to read yeah, to read the worst parts of the book, the most, um, the, in a way, explicit parts of the book that go into the depths um, of when I hit rock bottom, mm -hmm. you know, in my life. Um, and they say, like, how could you share these with the world? Because, I mean, it doesn't bother me to share it with the world. I, I want to help people by sharing it. That's my purpose, you know. And I want to show how how far a person can sink, you know, without nourishment nourishment for the soul. Um, I, I wrote this book for, this book is really for everybody, even though it talks about how I became orthodox. It's also helpful to non-Jews because, I mean, every every person is a soul and, and whatever type of nourishment a non-Jew needs for their soul, I mean, they have addictions too. This is all what's mm -hmm. needed by everybody. So for me, the nourishment that I needed was the Torah, but you know, for for anybody else that fills their soul, it doesn't. You know, it, it, it depends. I, I'm a Jewish soul, so that's what needed. Um, throughout the book, I am searching in other religions. I was involved with Christian Science, and I was involved with Buddhism, and 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 there were pieces of those religions that filled my soul to an extent, but they were not the perfect puzzle piece that I needed because I have a Jewish soul. So it wasn't until I I learned about the Torah. At a level of depth that right away um, I studied in Neve and Orsameok. They had a, a small women's division that later combined with Neve. Mm -hmm. But but when I got there, I I listened to the classes and I didn't even know what they were talking about because most of the it was like half of it was in Hebrew and I didn't even really know what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And I, my soul was rejoicing. Mm. It was like yes, this is what I've been looking for. It was like I I could. It could perceive the depth, you know, we have an intuitive intuitive awareness of what's really truth. And I was so elated. I felt such a feeling of ecstasy and bliss when I finally got to a class that was talking about um, what I was searching for, about the meaning to life. And also at Asia Torah, I went to Rev Noah Weinberg's classes and it, it filled me in a way that nothing ever did before. And um, so... But take, it, take us, do you get to Nevada? you get to Israel but how did you even get there because I understand that you were at Harvard you were a medical school student you were shoulder to shoulder with the Kennedys and the Rockefellers and the creme de la creme of American society how did you end up all of a sudden in Israel discovering Judaism overnight right great question okay so here's what happened um, first of all a kiss when I was a teenager um, I wasn't getting such great grades I was hanging out people using drugs 
all kinds of things. I'm always searching, experimenting. Uh, up until I was 12, I was like, just like so happy in life. But once I became 12, I became so aware that something was missing. Mm -hmm. And I just began searching for it. So it was the 60s, too. It was a very exciting time. Um, okay. In 1968, it was incredible. I mean, I went camping out across country. I did all kinds of interesting things, searching for truth. And like I said, I got involved with different religions and um, all kinds of boyfriends. And then um, at one point when I got involved with Christian science, I got the idea that, um, oh, the mind of God is infinite. Mm -hmm. Well, my mind is part of God could be infinite. If I just study, I could just do really well. So all of a sudden, I started devoting myself to my studies and, and secular education. And all of a sudden, my grades just shot up. And I ended up going to Harvard. And um, it was really interesting. It was just because I love knowledge. You know, I was just searching for more and more. So I, then I went on that path of knowledge. Um, and so then, and of course, like I always wanted to be helping people. And so I wanted to become a psychiatrist and go to medical school. So um, while I was at Harvard, though, um, I was very involved with um, feminism and the women's movement. And I was part of a seminar called Women Look at Biology, Looking at Women. And we put together a textbook that's still used, I think, in women's studies classes across the country. And my specialty in that and the chapter that I helped write in that book was about why are so many anorexics, why are so many women anorexics or why are so many anorexics women, you know? Yeah. Uh, what is it about? Well, and it was interesting is that I was writing this as I was becoming more anorexic, you know, because as I studied it, the, the, yeah, the more I studied it, I was getting really into it. And what drew me to that to begin with was an interest in that I was already heading in that direction, you know, so. Um, Wait, there's I, a huge irony here. You're a medical student, you're studying to become a psychiatrist, you understand the clinical consequences of a, an addictive behavior of, of, of not eating and overeating, yet you're going down that path right and that's my point because intellectual knowledge is not enough there you that's go. exactly the point mm -hmm. I, I I couldn't as and you'll see in the book all my struggles with saying why can't you just eat normally what are you doing this for you're ruining your life and but I, I knew all that it didn't help mm. you know because my soul was literally starving I, I was desperate for spiritual nourishment so what what happens in the book and it's really interesting and it's an amazing thing I, so by the time I was in medical school I was really in bad shape I was still you know um, doing okay in school but it, I was I was really just so unhappy and miserable increasingly by then my boyfriend was a um, a, a Baptist um, a Southern Baptist mm -hmm. um, who and his like I remember his mother didn't want any Jews in the house it was okay. like yeah but um so what happened is um, I felt like I was getting crazier and crazier and doing really crazy things which again that's where the title of the book comes from but I won't go into that again people could read about that part. Mm -hmm. But um, at that point, I said, I think I need a psychiatrist to go to. I went to, I was referred to a, a, a Japanese psychiatrist. I'd never been to a therapist. So I went to this Japanese psychiatrist. I told him everything, like what I was doing, all the crazy stuff that was going on. And I told him that, you know, my, my, my parents really want, my mother really wanted me to date someone Jewish.
Jewish. And um, she arranged for me to go to Israel for the summer to volunteer on the oncology ward at Hadassah Hospital. And uh, I just happened to mention that to him. And he said, you know, you think like you're a real mess. But I'm telling you, I have a feeling when you go to Israel this summer, I think you're going to find yourself spiritually. <gasps> it, was, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, it was amazing. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, I felt better. Okay. I thought I was really messed up. I thought I needed to be put away at that point. But he said, I'm not that messed up. Okay. <laughs> and it wasn't that long until it was the summer, a few more weeks till I went to, uh, away to Israel for the summer. And um, I was at Hadassah Hospital. My mother is interesting. She said, you could do whatever you want in Israel. Just don't contact this one guy I knew from childhood who became, in quotes, a religious fanatic. He went to Asia, <laughs> went to Asia Torah. So right away, of course, I contacted him. You know, I was always rebellious and I contacted him and I said, you know, I want to be a psychiatrist, but I don't even understand why life is worth living. I don't even understand what the purpose of life is. And he, he wrote back to me before I got there. He said, you, you, I'm going to take you to some schools and you're going to understand what the purpose of life is. Okay. So he met me in the cafeteria at Hadassah Hospital uh-huh. and he took, he took me to Neve and to the small women's division of Orsameach. And after one week of going to classes, oh my. I moved, yeah, I moved into Orsameach. They were a small school. They really wanted more students to live there. And I, I moved in. And, um, at first I ended up taking a year's leave of absence, but, um, I didn't come back. I, um, this was, and it was really interesting too, because I started dating pretty soon after I was there. Um, like three months later, I met my husband in a sukkah on sukkahs, uh, Cholamite sukkahs. Mm-hmm. And, um, my parents were very upset. You know, they thought they felt They're like upset I just, that now you're now you're becoming more too religious, or that you're dating somebody yes. religious. Both, right? Well, they thought I had joined a cult. <laughs> yeah, they were very very concerned, and I really. But I they no weren't sim- aware of what you really were going through before this point, or were they? Very slightly. You know, in those years, I got I don't know how to explain this, but parents really didn't want to know what their children were doing. Like mm-hmm. they didn't really want to know about involvement with drugs or with other men or things like that they did not want to know about my private life like that you know mm-hmm. so they didn't know about what was happening um a little bit they did you so know they, what i mean but they, they, now some, now they think you're joining a cult so what happens then um they wanted me to come back you know they said that's nice that you studied about orthodox judaism but study about the other types of judaism you know and come back and this is like a fad and don't do this you know don't stay there and i am dating somebody and then i want to get married i mean this is happening pretty quickly you know wow. so for sure they wanted to come and when they came for the wedding was really to take me away and bring me to Australia or someplace, you know, (laughs) it's really sad. My mother had sunglasses on at the wedding, you know, it was very sad because she was crying. It was like that. It was a very, at at that time, I didn't have any empathy for what my parents were going through until years later. I understood how, how unsympathetic I was to my very quick change, you know, (laughs) Um, I, I, I didn't give them time to adjust at all. It's like, Oh, I found the truth and you have to accept that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I really, it wasn't, it, you know, but I, I couldn't do it any better than I did at that time. But years later, you know, of course I understood that it wasn't, it was understandable their reaction. So, oh, oh, so when they came and they wanted me to leave, they took me to the, the, the doctor who was the head of oncology who had helped me get the volunteer position. Uh, they went to speak to him because somehow my mother worked at a place in, in, and, and he was the connection that helped me get the position. So, 
we all went to speak to him and she said shouldn't she leave she's going to give up medical school I mean what how could she stay here and marry this man and what what is happening and he said to her there are so many people that want to be doctors right now that's but how few people want to devote their lives to to helping Judaism to to strengthening Judaism for other young people you know I mean Whoa. she's doing the oncologist that, said this yes yeah, so, so that's and he was actually and he was an orthodox person too it was really beautiful so I, I don't know my parents were t- kind of shocked also by his reaction and 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 that's just how I felt about my life um I I, I really and I did I ended up really staying home with my children for 17 years to raise them and I I, I just devoted myself to that I you know people could definitely be physicians and be mothers at the same time I I couldn't though I'm a very as you know I mean an addictive personality I'm an all-or-nothing type in many ways and Mm -hmm. and I needed to devote myself to my family that was what I needed to do also because there were just so many changes in my life and you know this was this was all my energy where I wanted it to go so so basically I mean I did write books and things like that through the years and I edited books but Basically, I was home with my children until the youngest was like in first grade. Yeah. But the healing, so there's a spiritual healing that happened. I mean, you right away, it's like your eyes opened up and you're all in. What about the, 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 the relationship with food? Does that get healed right away or does that take years in the making? Like how does, do they go hand in hand immediately? Right. That's the interesting part. That's what I was trying to figure out because my brother-in-law, was writing me letters about come back to America. You know, here you here you had these problems with anorexia and with um with the binge eating. How could you be suddenly better? Right. You know, you, you need therapy and you need to do all this stuff. And I had the questions myself. How did how did I suddenly get better? How did this happen so quickly at the same time that I became observant? I didn't even understand it until that's what happened when I reread the diaries when I would you know back to when I became 32 and I then I saw started to come together what was going on here how could it be that I got better and I understood why it was because my soul was filled I got the nourishment that I was craving it it didn't even I myself was floored by it like I couldn't even answer my brother-in-law I'm going you know you have a good point I'm I don't feel like I'm running away he said you're running away and I, I I knew I wasn't running away that was the interesting thing and I said you know what it looks like I'm running away but I'm not like I feel really peaceful I feel more joyful than ever so what is going on you know (laughs) and that's when I tried to analyze this so the book is really my answer to that question that I had for those basically 10 years between 22 and 32 how was it possible to get better by getting the spiritual nourishment that I craved and that's when I came to the answer and then years even even years later than that I saw that there were there were certain rabbis that were writing about this rabbi shastow right rabbi twersky mm-hmm. and rabbi david goldwasser yes. i just saw this like a couple of years ago this is so funny because i'd written my book like 30 years ago but i saw that he wrote a book and the name of it is starving souls a spiritual guide to understanding eating disorders well i was blown mm. away 
I know. I was blown away when I wow. saw that because I go, yeah. I said, my book is a case study of exactly his theory. You know, and I haven't even read his book on purpose. I haven't read it because um, I just want to make sure that what I'm saying is authentic just from my own experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be taking away his words, but I know that that he must be. And I and I have read Rabbi Chase Taub's works, and he also writes this, and, and Rabbi Tversky. So I just feel like all I don't think I'm offering something completely novel because I think all these rabbis are onto this too. Right. But I am saying this from a woman's perspective, and I also am just giving my own personal perspective so that a person can actually see a case study of what it's like to develop the disorders and then to heal from them. So, um, and I don't want to say that um, a person can still, and, and I'm very grateful for this too. There are there are times when I'll still have a trigger from the past, and I will remember what it's like to have those type of binge experiences. But it's it's very it's like a fleeting experience. But it's mm. I'm, I'm always grateful for it because I can still get into the head of the person that has an addiction. Um, wow. And I think when a person has been through that, I think it's with them for their whole lives. It's it's so hard to ever forget what it's like because it's an it's an unrelentless des- desperate type of feeling that takes over your whole being. And um, it's a, it's like a person is imprisoned when they have an addiction. So there's such a freedom to being released from it. You don't ever want to go back there once you've been there. But mm. but you will get triggers that will remind you of it. And that's that's a good thing, I think, because then you can relate to people for the rest of your lives and, and try to help them also to overcome their addictions. How beautiful. Now, Bracha, the question on my mind is not an easy one. And I wonder if it's come up before, because one could argue, yes. This is all amazing, but there are people within our observant communities who are involved in a life of Torah mitzvahs who unfortunately do have addictions. So how do we, how do we grapple with that? What's the answer to that? Right. I spoke to a number of people like this. The the point is I, I talked to them about that they need to add more joy to their lives. Mm -hmm. There are many people also there are that are, that are culturally orthodox or they were brought up that way and they're doing it but they're not getting joy from the mitzvahs right um it's the outlook that we need to have about Judaism and mitzvahs, right? Yeah, yeah it needs to really be nourishing the soul. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's the thing. If they don't feel like it is, then there, are, then there are things that they need to do that do what nourishes your soul. That's what I tell people. The more you fill your life with what nourishes your soul, the less space you will have for your addiction. It just it just becomes less and less important because your soul is being nourished. It right. and, and the important thing is, like many times, times people say it's a lot of work to overcome an addiction and this this with this it's not a lot of work it's a total joy that's the important point i want to get across Mm. because all it involves is filling your life with more and more joy this is really what god wants for us god created us to give us pleasure, to give us the deepest pleasure possible. That's that's what we were needed for. So, <laughs> yeah. Hashem with joy. <laughs> yeah. 
And Rev Noah taught that so much that that that's the purpose of life. It's so it's so amazing because we think, oh, the purpose of life is hard work. We got to work on ourselves. But the real the underlying purpose to that, the purpose of life is to have the deepest pleasure possible. Mm -hmm. It it may involve it may involve work, but the work itself, the work, if it's whatever work it involves is a joy. It's all and, and, and I'm not saying that we don't go through painful times. Again, that's another teaching, an awesome teaching, a mind blowing teaching of Rav Noach. That what's the opposite of what's the opposite of pain? What's the opposite of does he say what's the opposite of pleasure or what's the opposite of pain? Well, anyway, it's not it's not plain as pain is not the opposite of pleasure. Pain can often be a part of pleasure, as we know from giving birth. Pain can be a huge part of pleasure. Right. The op- the opposite of pleasure is comfort. And that's what addictions provide us with. They provide us with a temporary comfort. And then we, to to override that relentless pain, it puts us in a state of comfort, mm-hmm. a very fleeting comfort. Oh, this tastes delicious. And now I'm feeling pleasure. Yes, Hashem made pleasure, made food pleasurable. It's supposed to be a pleasure for us. But there's so many other deeper, way more lasting pleasures in life. So when we fill our lives with those, then then food just doesn't become such a major part. It's not such a need anymore. Mm. Then, then we eat what we need. We eat what we need in order to, to live and do mitzvahs and also to have pleasure from the food because, because Hashem made the food pleasurable. We could be eating you know gray dry tasteless things to keep us alive and give us energy but Hashem made them pleasurable with taste and smell and and that's a good thing but but we get stuck on the pleasure of food when we don't have enough other pleasures in our lives other deeper pleasures um that's what I I see that again and again and people that are overeating even if they're orthodox they are stuck on the pleasure of food because it's an immediate comfort Mm -hmm. it's an immediate pleasure and what it indicates is there's not enough other deeper more lasting pleasures in their life right then let that be a message to fill one's life with other deeper pleasures um that that's how i see it Mm, beautiful beautiful bracha when you were raising your children who are now adults right you're a grandmother already baruch hashem yes thank god with your daughters do you have daughters yes thank god were you open about um your journey with eating disorders how did you manage that yes but not much like it was not a big part of my life so they barely knew about it but they knew about it a little bit uh-huh but in raising them um were like i guess how did knowing what you knew from first-hand experience um were you more cautious or more um, to not say certain things, uh, you know, now we're so hypersensitive to what we say to our daughters about relate related to body image and to diets and things like that. Um, how did how did you relate to all that? Right. I don't know. I, I don't think I made it a major thing because it wasn't a major part of my life anymore. Mm. So none of them are really too involved with that kind of thing. Um, and I just um, I was, you know, I encouraged healthy eating, but I didn't want to be like too much into I don't know I don't think I put any too much pressure on about these things at all because that's that's actually awesome to hear because it sounds like it's like a total healing you know like it it didn't even it wasn't at the forefront of your mind thank god that's that's exactly the point right exactly and because food is not at the forefront of my mind anymore you know (laughs) I mean the whole 
the whole body image thing is just not. And I guess I just feel now if I eat in a healthy way, then then it's just good. You know what I mean? That's just all I have to do. Right, right, right. So, So, Brahma, going to your career as a in the children's book space, you become an observant woman, you're raising your children. How did you end up as a an author of children's book, which is a, a, a niche in and of itself? It's not just something that anybody can pick up. It's a certain skill set. Yes, great question. I It's just really interesting because many people just say to me, you went to Harvard, you must be like a real intellectual and, you know, but the, the point is, I love to think very deeply, but in the most simplified way. What thrills me is to get to the essence of an idea, mm-hmm. is to get to the very core. And so to me, children's book writing, that's exactly what I love to do because I like to write about the deepest concepts in the simplest way possible. And and also, also in a joyful way, because that's also my style. Those are the things. So... Um, And I try to write the books that I wished I'd had as a child, the books that answer the questions that I had when I was young that I want to answer, you know, like the invisible book. Um, The the invisible book is about all the things we believe in that are invisible. Right. Uh, So why not God? Why not believe in a soul? Why not believe in God? we, We believe in time. It's invisible. We believe in um, gravity. Was, in gravity, right? <laughs> I, I have the book. <laughs> oh, that you really must have the book. I've right? read it many, many times. <laughs> That's it, exactly. When I'm when I'm reading the book, it's funny that I forgot. When I'm reading the book in front of audiences, right away, I get to that page and I just drop the book. Oh, and I'm like, what are you, you know, because the gravity, we didn't have it. It just pulls the book right down to earth, and yet we can't even see that force that's pulling the the book down to earth. See, in my books, people don't realize it, but there is a lot of science in them too, because I love science. You know, I was mm. I was very involved when I was studying. I didn't just want to be a psychologist; I wanted to be a psychiatrist because I love the mind body connection. You know, right. so that's what I'm I'm very into. So I do I do put in a lot of science in my books, like in Remarkable Park too. It's all about what do we learn from animals. I'm very into nature, and then Hashem's candy store. Of course, it's all about what again that's about it's about healthy eating it's about the the messages that are in food you know I I got that from God's pharmacy which is something I saw online and then um also from um Rabbi Avigda Miller's teachings about (laughs) the wisdom in an apple you know I mean there's just there is um there's so much to learn from our natural world because Hashem put messages in everything. everything. Yes. Right. And, and remarkable part, that's what it says at the end of the book. Look, this is to get your whole, your eyes to look at this whole world as an open book because that's what it was. And that's, I mean, that's how Avraham Avinu learned from everything, just learning from nature. There is so much. So, so I write children's books because I, I am a person that's still filled with wonder about life. And in that sense, you know, I still have that sense of wonder and I like to write 
in that way still as a child and write write children's books to other children. Um, I think I can still get into the head of, of, of a child. And um, I see that with my grandchildren, too. I like to play on their level, you know. Uh, it's, but, but it's that, amazing um, that you discovered this beautiful skill and this talent that, that obviously Hashem gave you. It's amazing. I, I love it. gives me so much joy. When I was in Orson Mayak, it's really funny. Again, because they knew I went to Harvard, they kept moving me up to the advanced classes. <laughs> and I, no, really, I kept sneaking back to beginners and I never left beginners. When I finally left, I was still going back to a beginner's class because that's all I wanted to learn. I just, I just want, I love the most basic concepts. Right. I just want to hear them again and again and, and get them so deep into my soul. That's, that's what I love. I, I just, and I so, I, yeah. <laughs> so some might consider 37 books and now a memoir plus raising a family. It's a Herculean feat. I mean, to what do you attribute your, your ability to be so prolific, so productive? I'm just very, I'm very happy. I'm very, I have a lot of joy in my life. I'm very grateful. Um, my parents raised me with so much love and so much joy. And I dedicated, one of my first books is The Happiness Box. It's dedicated to my father who really gave me the gift of happiness. He's like the happiest person I ever knew. My father of blessed memory. And uh, he was a person that had no expectations in life. Hmm. He was happy with whatever he got. I, I'm so grateful for all the love that I have in my life. And, and um, I'm grateful that I was born a Jew. Many people have to become a Jew. And it's quite a quite a journey. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I was led back to learn about the Torah. I mean, I just thank God I was given a lot of joy in my life. And I hope to share the joy with so many people because I feel that I feel that my soul is really shining. And many other people's souls are not shining yet. And I really love to help people's souls to shine. I, I, my soul was covered with garbage. And and that happens to many people, other people too. And we have to kind of remove Move the layers, the clipot, the garbage that's piled on top of our souls, so they can shine. That's. Mm. But I'm hearing, yeah. I'm hearing some beautiful things about your parents. So yeah. in many ways, you don't. You obviously, it's obvious that you don't blame them for what was going on in your youth. It was coming but, from. Yeah, they didn't know. They didn't know any better. You know, right, <laughs> they right. they they weren't educated in Judaism. Right. You know right. that, that it's just the way it was at the turn of the century. That's in my book too. When people came over from Europe, so many at that point. This was not after the, after the Holocaust. This is the turn of the century when they came over. They were throwing their tefillin in the Hudson River. You know, I mean, it, it meant nothing to them. They didn't know the value. I, 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 they can't be blamed at all. And all we could do was educate. And, and young people today, also, we have lost so many people. I almost intermarried, and and intermarriage is so widespread. Yes, I we we can't do enough to reach out and help to educate young Jewish people because they just don't know. I didn't know. And I totally understand what that's like, you know, a hundred, a hundred percent. Did they ever have kind of come around and start appreciating your life, your the path that you chose and the way the way you were raising your family? Yes, yeah, so much mm. after the grandchildren came. Yes, the grandchildren, <laughs> they do. Yeah. They do all of that. I, I, I'm with you. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they saw how amazing these people were, mm -hmm. you know, they're beautiful meadows, what kind people they were, how thoughtful they were. 
before. So when my mother, before my mother passed away, she asked if my father could live with us before she passed away. And my father had Alzheimer's. He was 84. He lived with us until he was 87. Well, most of the time. and um, and I say that my father became became observant when he was 84 because um, you know he lived in a kosher house then he was keeping Shabbos with us and he every day it was so beautiful he'd wake up and he'd say is it Shabbos today because he loved being around the Shabbos table with Aww. everybody you know that was his favorite part in fact he passed away on Shabbos with wow. all the children around him all the grandchildren were there everybody was around him it was I I gotta say it was one of the most beautiful passing I could ever imagine. I've never been with somebody that passed away except for my father. And it was an incredibly spiritual experience. Oh my gosh. We I don't think we'll ever forget it. So, um, wow, wow, what a gift. Yeah, he, I, I gotta say this. He was, he was not well at all. I mean, he had a heart condition and Alzheimer's. He, his eyes were closed. And then suddenly, just before he died, he opened his eyes wide. He saw where he was going and he was like, oh, and we all saw it. It was the most amazing thing. I get, I st- I'm still, I'm getting tearful now just thinking about it. It was so many years ago, but you know, <laughs> uh, I know now that my parents could see all the truth you know of everything and everything that's happened so i'm so grateful for the beautiful childhood that they gave me and all the love yes so beautiful so bracha 37 children's book a memoir what's next i don't know i um i don't know because i don't really feel like writing books anymore it's really interesting really i'm at a i'm at a whole new place after this memoir came out i said to my husband i don't think i'm going to be writing more books and he was like come on well i said i said have i ever said that before (laughs) I've never said that before but I'm not this is not I don't know I just feel like I've done what I had to do in that way Um, interesting I don't I'm still I still have I work I I I coordinate a big brother big sister program so I'm still working I do that that's my day job and I love doing it it's it's you know giving mentors to children that that need mentors which is very gratifying fulfilling work Mm -hmm. Um, so like I'm also I'm not like that's like this psychology part of me too that I love doing that right. but um but um what lies ahead I don't I I really honestly I, this is what I really what I want to devote myself to to spreading this concept I I feel that now that my book is out it's almost like it's like a hook for me to be able to talk about this concept that addiction has a spiritual basis and I really want to spread the word about nourishing souls this is what right mm-hmm. now is what I want to spend my time doing Hmm. <laughs> was it hard, Bracha, to market this book to publishers, given given that people associate you with your children's books? Uh, oh well, that's the thing. No, no orthodox publisher wanted to publish the book. Oh, really? Uh, oh well, this is the thing. They um, this is very interesting. Um, non-orthodox publishers they would read the first half of the book. One publisher, when I lived in Israel right back then, thirty years ago, when I was thirty-two, I went to like the top publisher in Israel, and they were like, "This is the best manuscript." I've ever read. Uh, I said, you read the whole book? No, only the first half. After they read the second half, I never heard from them again. Hmm. They were not at all interested in publishing a book about someone that became orthodox. 
The first half of the book was very interesting. That was totally, they loved that part, but not the ending. So, and then the Orthodox publishers would not publish the first half of the book. No, I got because, you. Yeah, because I really go into, not not the most greedy details, I leave out some things because um, I want Orthodox people to be able to read the book as well. But um, I, I, for instance, all my children read the book, have read the book, not all of them, most of them, whoever wanted to. I didn't tell them they had to read the book, but the young, but my grandchildren, they all say, I want to read your book. I say, when you get married, you can read the book, not so bad. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I just don't feel it's appropriate for children. You know, right. it's not the book I want them to read. And not that I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm, uh, my children are so happy that their parents are Balai Chuva. You know, they say they, it's the best of both worlds Aww. because, yeah, because they, they, they don't take it for granted. They are so appreciative of being born observant of the Torah. And yet they understand that it's not a given, that it's something that you have to strive for, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, um, uh, oh, so I was going to say, so the Orthodox publishers didn't want it and the uh, non-Orthodox, nobody wanted to publish my book. So during, for, for over 30 years, 30 years, I would once in a while send it out again. I'd edit it a little more, keep going. I'd get a new idea. I'd send it to this one. Nobody wanted it. So finally, last year, like two years ago, whenever it, when I started, I found a literary agent and she was a, um, a religious Christian and she was interested in my children's books, publishing them mainstream. So she began to publish, uh, to find publishers for my children's books to publish them mainstream because some of my books and they have universal concepts. Yeah. They're not all Jewish concepts. So then once she started doing that, I said, maybe she'll want to read this. So I sent her the manuscript. She was so excited about it and she was totally into it. As a religious Christian, it was the perfect person because she really loved the book. Wow. So, so, so she eventually found a publisher. Again, it wasn't easy for her either for the same exact reasons, you know, because we need, there's just like certain people that are going to be open to publishing a book like this, which is a very spiritual book. And yet, you know, again, like the orthodox, you have to be careful about talking about certain subjects. So right. they could publish it. So it got stuck in a place that couldn't be published. But now that it's finally been published, I, I enjoy talking about it. I use every opportunity. That's why I contacted you because I love to talk about these concepts and I just want to spread the word. So as many souls can shine as possible. That's it. Yeah. Bracha, finish the sentences for me, okay? Um, Bracha gets, and I feel most spiritual when? You know, this is going to sound funny. I feel most spiritual when I'm doing body flow on the loop. We At, at our JCC, mm-hmm. in the summertime, we have these body flow dance classes on the roof of the JCC at night. So we do it under the stars with the beautiful music, with these beautiful people all around me, and we're all dancing. And I would say that those are the most spiritual moments in my life. I, I like I, I'm in ecstasy, yeah. <laughs> my favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with is? My favorite mitzvah. Oh, my favorite mitzvah would be all the blessings that we make before everything. Really? Because it teaches us appreciation every moment. Yes. It teaches us it teaches us mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It teaches us like when I you know, all the Jewish people that are drawn to Eastern religions or they were in the past, it's all about mindfulness. And that's what the blessings raise our consciousness. That's what it does. It takes us to a higher consciousness so that everything that seems mundane in the world, its spirituality is emanating from it right when we make the blessing. It's to me the most exciting thing. That's all the blessings so nice to hear because from my perspective as a Baal I get I get it. And then sometimes I struggle with, you know, getting just losing 
that excitement or as a parent seeing my kids just like not be so into like whatever yeah I muttered a bracha I'm like no 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 can you say it loud and clear please people yes (laughs) and then I sound like that that mother (laughs) for sure and I mumble my bracha sometimes too but that opportunity is there and when we grasp it we are soaring you know yeah exactly yes my fondest sweetest Jewish memory is oh that would be when I first held my husband's hand after the chutzpah. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, after years of being with people of, of the opposite gender for years and being involved with them and then dating this person who we never touched each other mm-hmm. and it was just our souls were talking to each other the whole time. It was just soul talk. And after the chuppah, when I felt his hand, it was like the most electric feeling mm. ever. You know, I just remember that moment so well. And yeah, that's going to be, that's it. Yeah, That's beautiful. <laughs> Something I wished I'd learn about Judaism growing up is? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I wished I wished I knew what the purpose to life was. That was the main thing. I feel like Rev Noah taught me that. Hmm. And um oh my gosh, he had he had a poster in those years outside Asha Torah. It was a picture, this is in my book. It was a picture of this huge bagels and lox sandwich and it said is this the culmination of 3,000 years of Jewish history? <laughs> Bagels and locks, you know? And here, yeah, when I saw this, you know, here I was, a person with an eating disorder, seeing that, it was like, whoa, mm. he totally gets it, exactly. Right. So, like, the whole purpose of life is to have the most pleasure possible. That is amazing. Nobody says that, but Rav Noah, he was so groundbreaking, you know? So, the, it's the purpose is to have the most pleasure possible. How do we have the most pleasure possible? By filling ourselves with spiritual nourishment there is nothing like it nothing so it's it's the most lasting deepest pleasure possible right it's serving Hashem it's not serving ourselves serving Hashem is uh, but, a different kind of pleasure but we get tremendous joy from it too Absolutely. that's the thing tremendous pleasure exactly exactly (laughs) when when i give tzedakah i like to give to my 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 son's yeshiva my son my son opened a yeshiva in phoenix arizona oh how wonderful yes i'll put in a plug no he 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 there was no yeshiva in the whole state so he was gonna call it yeshiva of phoenix so he said wait a minute i'll take the whole state so it's the yeshiva of arizona (laughs) wow so we give our tzedakah Money to you know, it's Yeshiva High School of Arizona. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm finally, I'm Bracha Gets, and today I'm most grateful for. I'm most grateful for. I'm most grateful for that I'm a soul, that there's so much pleasure in my life now, that my soul is shining, that I could help other souls to shine. I'm most grateful for my wonderful husband, who I appreciate more than ever now that the children are all married and parents themselves and um, and all my amazing children and grandchildren. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Racha, I'm so grateful to you and for this interview. Thank you for being so open and for sharing this beautiful message with us today and for this wonderful book that I feel is out there to help everybody. We're all, we all need to reconnect to that part of us who it, which is so real yet so easy for us to neglect and this is not just a about eating disorders or addictions it's about really finding getting to the core of who we really are and what we're meant to be doing
doing in this world. Thank you so much, Bracha. Thanks to Bracha Getz for stopping by. Her latest book is Searching for God in the Garbage and can be found on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. This is the last episode of 5778. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for being here, sharing the podcast and leaving reviews and wish you all a Shana Tova Umetuka. May it be a sweet new year where you should see only revealed good in your life. After Rosh Hashanah, we shall be back here with more. We're kicking off the new year with fashion blogger and icon Adi Heyman. You won't want to miss her. Have a wonderful Rosh Hashanah, everyone. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.